Welcome to the Today Counts show. Today does count because it impacts, it influences your tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. The Today Counts podcast is sponsored by the generous donors of the Lead Today community. I'm your host, Tim Piper. Welcome back to the Today Counts show. This is part two of the sin of unforgiveness. Now, it applies to everybody. I mean, everybody, the business person, you know, all of us, the nonprofit leader, the mom, the dad, the husband, the wife, um, the kids. It, it it applies to the neighbor. It applies to everything. Now, let me just say before we get too far into this, if you have not listened to part one of the sin of unforgiveness, I'd encourage you to go back and do that because it kind of lays a foundation for what we're going to be talking about today. And I might use some terminology today that will seem kind of out of context if you don't listen to the 20-minute part one. So this is part two, the sin of unforgiveness. If you're a sports fan, you, you know what retaliation is. And you also know that retaliation is the foul uh, that is almost always noticed and penalized by referees. No matter the protest that comes right afterward, right? The, the foul is called, the flag is thrown, the arm goes up, you know, whatever the signal is, the yellow card comes out, the red card, you know, what, whatever sport it is, and the referee calls the foul, most often there is some sort of protest. I shouldn't say most often, but often there is some sort of protest, especially if there was some instigation that created conflict that was the excuse for retaliation. But it's the retaliator rather than the original offender that is most often caught and punished. (laughs) If you're a sports fan, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you don't, um, I've got some other analogies for you here in just a second. But then again, there is that what we call in sports the makeup call, right? It's the makeup call. Well, (laughs) even if you're not a sports fan, you understand the makeup call. Um, If you're married and your husband does something really stupid and he's trying to make up for that stupid thing, he goes the extra mile, right? You know know it. Uh, Maybe you welcome it. I don't know. But there is the thing called the makeup or in sports, the makeup call. And most referees are honest. They're trying to be honest. They're trying to bring justice and fairness to the game. Um, They want to be in the game. They're athletes themselves in most cases, and they want to see a game played well. They love a a good game, but they too know that's important to be honest. So sometimes what that protest does do, though, is it kind of catches the attention of the referee beyond what he has seen. And because he knows human nature, he knows that maybe the guy that was throwing up his arms and in protest saying, did you not see what he did first? Right. So if he kind of believes that maybe that did happen, then the original offender better not provide any reason whatsoever, even a hint or a scent whatsoever for the zebra. That's what we call those guys with the the black and white shirts, zebras, the referees, to stop play. In other words, if you were involved in a play and you weren't called for the foul, and the other guy was called for the foul, but there was a protest that they missed something. It's just human nature that you want to make sure things go right. So you start watching that other guy with closer eyes, right? And so goes life. No matter how desperately we try to make the world right, we we try to find justice. We always seem 
to fall a bit short. Let me give you another analogy. If you've ever broken up a fight between boys on the playground, or maybe girls, I don't know, or maybe a boy and a girl, you will often hear the phrase, he started it or she started it. And I've always found that line of thinking or excuse campaigning um, a bit humorous because that person would want me to believe that there is no history here in this relationship. There's nothing there, as if there was no history to consider. Usually, usually now, when you think about temperament, personality, usually for two people to go all in on a fight, someone has had enough. In other words, there's often the instigator and but then there's that middle child, which often it is, who tries to avoid, tries to avoid, tries to avoid. But at some point, somewhere, someone has finally stepped over that invisible line, as we call it. And to everyone's surprise, that person fights back and a fight breaks out. A fight breaks out. Yep, that's just another example. This is the world in which we live, and retaliation comes in many forms. And we're talking about the sin, yes, the sin of unforgiveness. You might say, if someone has sinned against me, are you suggesting that for me not forgiving that person is a sin in and of itself? Yes, it is. It's a sin of retaliation. Now, before you get all jacked up and messed up, You do need to hear me out. It's not like I don't have personal experience in this either, right? I've been living on this planet for well over 60 years. Um, I have offended others. I've been offended by others. I've sinned against others, and I've been sinned against. So we're all in the same place here. Now, you might be saying, oh, but you have not experienced what I've experienced. That could be true. Um, I don't know. But it won't change the core truth and pros of what it is that we'll be talking about. Retaliation in this world comes in many forms. For example, there is a plot to secretly get even. Now, I would be a liar. Now, as a Christian minister, as a a leadership and character consultant and coach to nonprofits and for-profits, to corporate America, um, you might be shocked to think that I've actually have had evil thoughts against some people from time to time in my life and and secret plots of how to get even, right? Um, Or I might build a wall, right? I wall up to to protect me from this person, but I'm going to call it a boundary because psychology has given us some nice clean words that, well, you need to have good boundaries. And though I'm not here to suggest that that boundaries are not a real thing and a potentially good thing. What I'm suggesting, though, is that we will call something a boundary when in reality we are building a tall and thick wall. Um, grudges. Grudges um, is a form of hostility, a form of retaliation, a form of the sin of unforgiveness, open hostility, uh, spreading rumors, about someone in other ways to get back. And of course, there's the good old take the high road. And that's just another way of denying us what has happened to you and what has happened to us. Here's what really needs to happen is an honest acknowledgement of hurt, an honest acknowledgement of sin, um, that I have sinned against someone or someone has sinned against me 
and that this cannot go unnoticed. It has to be uh, recognized. Um, you know, um, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Sometimes we use these psychological tools to protect ourselves from really what needs to happen. Sadness, mourning, anger, shock, all those kinds of emotions are real. And at some measure and some level of force needs to be embraced in order for what needs to come next to be authentic and helpful. So in other words, when you've been wounded by another, you need to say it. You need to recognize it. You need to embrace it. If you don't do that, you can't do anything with it. And that's the problem. That's the problem. So most likely when you've been wounded and you have felt it the most, it's come from somebody close to you in that inner circle, in that inner circle of trust. That's why it hurts so much. Your sense of safety has been violated. You're unable to see the big picture because this is all you see. Somehow the world got really small. Somehow you forget that injustices and harm and sin is done against people all around the world every single day. But when it happens to you, all of a sudden, the world shrinks in size. This is the only thing going on in the world. You're the only one that this has happened to. And that is what your world looks like. And it is boiled up. It is deep. It is hot. It's nasty. It's negative. It's, it's crazy. And you're unable to see that this is a reality of the human existence. This, friends, is what we call sin. But when we're in that place, we are the only victim. Here's the truth. When someone has sinned against you, the whole world has been damaged. The whole world has been wounded. The whole world has been hurt. You see, there's a truth about sin that I want you to consider today and I want you to embrace. Sin cannot be contained. It cannot. Sin cannot be contained inside of you, cannot be contained inside of your home, your family, your business your suite, your organization. It cannot be contained inside your neighborhood. It leaks. It spreads. A sin against one is a sin against all, including the perpetrator, including the guilty one, including the Judas, including the person who made a mistake and maybe did not have ill intent, but nevertheless, it happened somebody who was caught up in their own darkness at the moment and did not have the big picture and they only wanted what they wanted or they only saw what they saw or they only felt what they felt. We do incredible things in the darkness. Now, if you have sinned against another or they you, remember, it needs to be acknowledged and it needs to be mourned. It needs to be called for what it is. It needs to settle in for what it is. And then it needs to be conquered. It needs to be conquered through forgiveness. Forgiveness is a step-by-step, day-by-day, week-by-week, month-by-month, until it has happened. Forgiveness is a wringing out of pus and toxins out of you and out of others that are involved in the situation. Without forgiveness, we all lose, and the world gets darker and darker and darker. Let me ask you this. Where do you need 
forgiveness. Ponder that and let it be a guide helping you work through what I'm going to call now the ministry of forgiveness. I don't believe forgiveness can be trite or quick. I think that sin has more power than that. And so it is something you have to commit yourself to. Jesus said that if your brother sins, rebuke him. So we're not talking about soft. We're not talking about, oh, well, I forgive him. I forgive her. No, no. It says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If someone has repented, if someone has said, yes, I did, I'm wrong, and then you have a responsibility to continue the cleansing process and forgive them. If you don't, then all of a sudden, you have become the bad guy. You are the retaliator. You are the one who is spreading the disease. The idea that unforgiveness is a sin might feel very harsh to you. It might be difficult for you to digest, even though I maintain its veracity, I maintain its truth. And I hold myself up to this standard, and it is not easy, particularly if you are a leader. If you are a leader with a good moral compass, you will make decisions that is good for the whole, but sometimes it affects somebody in a most negative way, and you will become a target of hate. You'll become a target of accusation. And it is so difficult to measure what we do sometimes and the effects that it has on others. So if, if you're a leader, then I think I have your attention. If the sin of unforgiveness seems too harsh for you to accept, for you to embrace, then I want you to at least start by considering it a weakness. And yes, I'm playing a psychological game with you because I don't believe it's simply a weakness. I do believe it's a sin. But sometimes to get into the door, you've, you've got to find a window that you can somewhat crawl into. And if you can at least consider it a weakness, then maybe to withhold forgiveness is a weakness. But is it that simple? I, I don't think so. And, and so here I come again. It, it's not just a weakness. It's a destructive weapon that knows no boundary. When we don't forgive, there are no boundaries. It, it's cancerous-like. It's cancerous. It, it's, it spreads it's even more destructive sometimes than the original offense because by withholding forgiveness, a sin is empowered to live on, to live on, and to eat everyone alive. It not only lives, but it morphs into all kinds of darkness in the lives of numerous people, even penetrating generations yet to come. And many of these, let's just call them family tree victims, will even be ignorant of the source of their affliction. The Bible says that the sin of the father carries down to the next generation and the next. Sins have a way of hanging around into your DNA and through your DNA. And, and so if you can imagine your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren, what you do with the things that have hurt you and harmed you, what you do with them will have impact, even though you can't see it. Now, if you're not a person of faith, you might think this is all superstitious. But if you're a person of faith, and then if you have any love for your children and your children's children, 
you will become somebody who works at forgiving. And some of these encumbrances that the generations to come will struggle with might even seem unrelated to the historical offenses that have gone before them, because that's what sin does. It morphs into all kinds of forms and damaging offenses. The sin of unforgiveness is so dangerous. It's like bitterness. It's it's bitterness that rots us from the inside out. And it's a willful act that breeds far too many consequences to be mentioned here. That's why you hear the passion in my voice. Don't let life ruin you. Don't let tragedy ruin you. Don't let offenses and sin ruin you. And if you use it as a weapon against others, you will become a guilty participant in all of the atrocities. Speaking of atrocities, how can I say such things considering that many atrocities and evils that visit some of us are like a, you know, a dense and damp fog that just doesn't seem to go away in a sleepy village? I can say it because it's true. Unforgiveness is darkness. It holds us all captive. Forgiving is not easy, but it's God's work. If you believe in God and you want to be aligned with God, and then you have to recognize that that's what God does. God forgives, and he calls us to do the same. Most often, forgiveness is, as I said earlier and suggested earlier, is not an event, but it's a process. It's a way of life. Sometimes it may only take a few minutes. If there's a childlike sin that has been carried against you, then hopefully you can forgive it quickly and swiftly because you do that on a regular basis. But if it's an adolescent sin, it might take a little longer. And certainly if it's an adult sin, it, it, it hurts and it becomes part of your story. But it's got to become part of your story. It's got to be part of the weaving in of healing, the, the weaving in of purpose, the weaving in of perspective. So sometimes it takes a few minutes and other times it can take years. Not because you are holding it back, but because you must distill it daily. In other words, sometimes it can take a long time, not because you're holding it back, but because you are distilling it daily until something happens. And what is that something? You, you continue to forgive that person. You continue to forget that, forgive that situation daily until you know, until you know, and if at all possible, so does the offender know that forgiveness has done its work. So you forgive and 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 you forgive the same offense, the same person. You do it daily, you do it weekly, you do it monthly, you do it over and over again until it has been done. You must be both the forgiven and the forgiver to be part of God's redemptive work. I want to say that again. In order for you to engage in this incredible ministry of forgiveness, you must see yourself as both the forgiven, meaning you know that you too need to be forgiven. And because of that, and because of your understanding of God is constantly forgiving and offers forgiveness, then you too are a forgiver. And that's how you participate in the work of God. The work of God, whether you think it or not, cannot be separated from your work, from your profession, from your office, from the field. It cannot be separated in the hallways of where you work. It cannot be separated from 
your marriage and your kids and your grandkids and your friends and your neighbors and even the strangers. As we become both the forgiven and the forgiver, we then embrace our debt. And we all have a debt. We have a debt to one another, which is to love one another. And to do that, we must become lovers of God and his work, his ministry. And all of this certainly includes, all of this work, all of this love, all this debt to love, all of this certainly includes forgiveness. And actually, the more I think about it, it really is about forgiveness. It all is. Martin Luther King Jr., he was carrying the sins of generations on his shoulders and on his back. And he said, we must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. Again, I want you to catch the process of this. I want you to catch what he's saying. This is, becomes part of our character, becomes part of our personality, becomes part of our practice. It becomes a part of who we are as humans if we're going to get better instead of bitter. He said, we must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. We have to develop it. We have to maintain it. What is that? The capacity to forgive, because some have lost it. Some have lost the capacity to forgive, and in so doing, they've lost their lives. Now, he didn't say that. I added that. So let me go back to his quote. We must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. He who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. That is a blanket statement, which basically says, He's not talking specifically about the perpetrator, the sinner. He's talking about holistically. Those who are devoid of the power. Did you notice the word choice? I love the word choice he has selected here. He who is devoid of the power. Forgiving is a power. He who is devoid of the power to forgive is also devoid of the power to love. If you want to love your spouse better, then you better be somebody who knows how to forgive. Not not just your spouse, but everyone. If you do not have the power to forgive, you do not have the power to love. And if you do not have the power to love, what is the purpose of your existence here? Well, I know that's tough. I know that's tough. And the reason why I haven't spent a lot of time talking about the how to forgive is because I just don't think it's that clean, folks. I think you have to drudge through it. You have to drag yourself through it. You've got to pick yourself up almost like you're in the middle of the desert trying to get to your destination. You're dehydrated. You are thirsty. Your lips are chapped. You are burnt to a crisp. And you don't even know that you can make it, but you get up, you get up, you get up, and you might even faint. And then you wake up and you've got some life in you. And so you just get back up and you 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 get back up because this is what you do. It's your responsibility. It's your responsibility to forgive. It's your responsibility to complete the debt that you owe, which is to love. And forgiveness is certainly a strand of love. It's the commitment to forgive that I pray that you have. Now, The deliverer of this message is just like you, and he too must forgive, forgive, forgive. If you are not part of the Lead Today community, let me invite you. You can go to leadtodaycommunity.com and sign up for the leadership kit. 
So again, thank you for joining with us. Tell a friend if you enjoyed this. We would really appreciate it.